Every decision they make can have an effect on our lives. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack. America's not the same as it was 100 years ago. The violent mayhem we have seen in the streets and cities that are run by liberal Democrats. This is Our Lives in Politics with your host Booker and co-host Lou Basada. As the world seems unhinged and the news cycle spins with such rapid speed, it becomes hard to discern what is important, what is true, who to trust, and who to ignore. Some may call it a psychological war with disinformation and misinformation. I've found over the last few years that people believe what they want to believe, and that belief comes from hearing and reading what a person wants to hear and believe. Yet, it doesn't make it true because one sees it or hears it, does it? In the fog of information we live in today, there are few voices of reason and common sense that stand out. There are few voices that draw us to them, voices we trust, voices that comfort us in the chaos. I'm Booker Scott, and I hope you had a great week. Thank you for listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio or wherever you listen to a podcast. This hour, we'll hear from one of those voices of reason for our country and for these times. Dr. Carol Swain will join us in just a minute to try to make sense of the crazy we see. I've said for years now, every time there's a big news story, just wait a few days. Let the dust settle. Let the facts come out before you get over your skis and the lie takes off to become reality for some. That happened again this week, didn't it? A Hamas rocket intended for Israel apparently was a dud and landed in the parking lot of a hospital. What was reported was Israel bombed a hospital, killing up to 500. Well, that story quickly spread. It passed around the world. It wasn't the truth, but it kept spreading. And we see protests being sparked from that lie and the misinformation. We've seen some violence. And to me, the part that saddens me most, we see protests at America's universities and colleges in support of the very terrorists that want to destroy Israel. Only 20 years ago, terrorists attacked the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon. They've attacked nightclubs in places like Orlando. And now they've beheaded babies and farmers. They've raped women. They've kidnapped grandmothers and grandfathers. And America's youth are activated in support of these terrorists. The crazy thing is, the same terrorists would even want the students dead that are supporting them. Dr. Carol Swain spent her career in academia as a tenured professor at prestigious universities, Princeton and Vanderbilt. She taught political science and law to the young minds of America's tomorrow. So we'll go to her to try to make sense of these things and more. Dr. Swain's story, if you don't know, started from very humble beginnings, born in the 50s prior to the civil rights, the second of 12 children, born to a father with a third grade education, and a mother that didn't make it through high school, and she was disabled due to polio. She shared two beds with 11 siblings. She witnessed her stepfather abuse her mother, 
Her family eventually moved to Roanoke, Virginia, and Dr. Swain petitioned the judge to go to a foster care, but the judge denied it, and she lived with her grandmother in a trailer park. She dropped out of high school in the ninth grade, was pregnant and married at 16, divorced by 21. She worked at McDonald's. She was an assistant in a nursing home. She was a door-to-door salesperson. On her own, she got her GED, then her associates, and by 1989, earned her Ph.D. from North Carolina Chapel Hill. Now, she's written 11 books, and you can find her work in publications across the country. You can see her frequently on Newsmax and Fox News. Her latest book is called Be the People, where she gives you actionable items to make a difference in this country. I've admired her for a long time. She inspires me and so many others here in this country. Dr. Carol Swain, welcome to Our Lives in Politics. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, we go through your story, and it's a story, obviously, of oppression. The, The question that comes to my mind is, why were you not a victim? You have had so much success in life, and you're such an important person on the conservative side as a voice. Why did you not choose to be a victim? First of all, this whole notion of oppression and people being oppressed because of the color of their skin has been relatively new in my mind. Because when I was growing up in rural poverty in southwestern Virginia, we were just poor. And so there were some poor whites as well as poor blacks. Mm -hmm. My family was among the poorest of the poor. But the messages we received were messages that if you worked hard, if you got an education, you could make something of yourself. I believed I lived in the greatest nation in the world. Not sure I believe that today, but I believed it then. And I believed that the American dream was possible. And so I did not have negative messages coming from home uh, or anywhere else that focused on what I couldn't do. And when we look at conservative voices or popular African-American black community voices like Thomas Sowell, Bob Woodson, Ben Carson, even Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice, and Larry Elder is a younger one of those. And, you know, I put them in the same category as you. And why doesn't their common sense resonate in the minority community? Why aren't they lifted up with their stories and their ideas? I believe that the individuals themselves, when they do have interactions in the minority communities, that they are welcomed with open arms. And that's been my experience, that there are lots of of racial and ethnic minorities that have cheered me on throughout the years. So I'm very encouraged by what my experiences have been. And, um, And I think that the elites and progressives of, of, uh, both political parties don't want success stories to be heard. Excuse me, I didn't mean to say both political parties. Uh, I would say the elites, whites and black Mm -hmm. progressives, don't want success stories to be heard because it runs counter to their narrative. And they believe they can make everyone feel that they're oppressed and they're hopeless and they're a victim, then those individuals are more likely to support the Democratic Party, more likely not to challenge uh, the status quo. And the status quo for them is not a good place to be. 
And when you look at the, what they have done through history, and I'm speaking of the progressives and the elites, the, the Democratic Party by and large, uh, they have kept the minorities really on that plantation of giving. Uh, they're going to solve all the problems instead of someone like you that realized from a young age that you have the ability and you live in a country that could provide you with all the things that you wanted to achieve in your life. And, and I, I, for me for, and for a lot of the people listening to this, it's hard for us to understand why more people wouldn't be like you instead of looking for the handout. Well, I think that some people are, are born with a can-do attitude and a can-do spirit. And, um, and so for me, if someone told me I couldn't do something, it was like throwing the gauntlet down. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Bob uh, Woodson and some of the other individuals that you named, they didn't come from dire poverty like me. They understood that America had raised problems, but they as Blacks were willing to put in the extra time to work harder you know, maybe to get to the same place, but sure. they, they understood the environment and they took advantage of the opportunities and education used to be a way up and out of poverty for black people. And I would argue today that the negative uh, life sapping messages that racial and ethnic minorities receive that white people receive those messages now, and that there are a lot of white people that are victims in the same way that black people used to be uh, victims. And if you look at the level of uh, ignorance, as, as we talk today, the uh, college students that are pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinian, and they have no understanding really of the conflict, what's taking place, they're willing to support great horrors because of their lack of information, their ignorance. And so we have a population that is not moral, and very uninformed. You brought up Israel, Palestine, and I, I want to go there from a 30,000 foot view. How do you view this conflict? Well, I mean, as a Christian, I view it through a biblical lens and as a practical person looking at nations and nation states. Uh, my perspective is that Israel was minding its own business. People were living their lives when they were attacked in an act of war and that they have to respond to the aggressors with uh, with return of war. I mean, someone has declared war, they should not uh, de-escalate or, or pack a, up their weapons. Yeah, and, cease fire. No. Or whatever they're trying to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to cease fire when you have enemies that are willing to do all the heinous things that Hamas has done. And it must be so disheartening for Jews in America, at least the ones that uh, love Israel, because there's some Jews that I know that are probably pro-Palestinian because they've been brainwashed on the college campuses and they don't know what to believe. But to see young people on the college campuses rallying in support of the terrorists is something that is very disheartening. And one of the good things that come out of it, Romans 8.28 says all things work together for the good, for those that know God, one of the good things is that people have revealed their hearts, who they are. And as a consequence, there's so many billionaires now that's pulling money from the colleges and universities they were propping up. The universities have huge endowments. It may not hurt them that much, but for enough people pull away 
because of the fact that they're not educating students, that will be a win-win uh, for American citizens. And speaking of academia, it was something I wanted to get into in this conversation with you. As someone that has spent all the years that you did in Princeton and at Vanderbilt as a law professor, and now you see how really it seems like the last 15 or 20 years that these college campuses and these universities, all they're doing is indoctrinating people to the left and into Marxism. And it really has been upsetting to me to see places like Harvard and other universities in support of Hamas. What are your feelings there? Well, my uh, position in the academies, first early tenure at Princeton and then Vanderbilt, uh, I was a professor of politics and uh, public policy at Princeton and then law and political science at Vanderbilt. And I would say that the cultural Marxism, critical race theory, deconstructionism, postmodernism, that that has been a part of the campuses ever since I was in graduate school and longer. But some of the ideas that they were advancing, such as erasing borders between Mexico, Canada, and the United States, and turning America into a non-white uh, country because they felt that that would be better for our nation if they were non-white. And uh, I have a edited book, uh, Debating Immigration, the 2007 edition, where a well-known uh, uh, intellectual wrote an essay saying that it would be better to have non-Blacks in America, non-Black immigrants, because they would be easier to assimilate and they would, you know, replace mm -hmm. pretty much Black people. But they were very open about their views. I would say that after the election of Barack Obama in 2008, I saw changes begin on campuses by 2012. You saw restorative justice. You saw the neo-Marxism. Uh, actually, it was already invading other departments through critical theory. It was it was beginning to get everywhere, but certainly by 2020, it had already accomplished its goals. We just became much more aware of it after George Floyd's death, that's when it reached K through 12 education. But the universities have been going in the wrong direction for a long time. And one of the things I noticed after 2012 was that we started getting freshmen who were not there to learn from the professors. They had already been indoctrinated. They had answers to all the great problems of the, of the world, the things that have perplexed philosophers, they had the solution and they were there to lecture the professors. And I think that's what I started to see before I left academia in 2017 is that a new kind of undergraduate was showing up. They had been fully indoctrinated and what they encountered on the college campuses was all the conservative professors and most of them had retired or they had left academia and they were just being further indoctrinated and reaffirmed in their belief. Do you have any hope for universities and colleges? Are you optimistic that this country can be decent again? I didn't say great. I just said decent. I would settle for that right now. Well, money drives everything. And I believe that as fewer students, and there's some data that uh, more and more parents are not considering a college degree a good investment, and fewer students are thinking that it's a good investment, and when donors start pulling their money because they don't want their young people uh, indoctrinated and those who are Christians, 
I mean, you had to be pretty insane to pay all that money to send your child to an institution where their lives will be destroyed, their faith will be destroyed. They may be, uh, you know, pushed into transgenderism through the indoctrination. So uh, parents are not damned for buying what universities are selling these days. And I think the university will be forced to change if they want to stay in business. And so I do have hope that one or more major institutions will take a stance for universities returning to the posture of being a marketplace of ideas and welcoming uh, faculty diversity and viewpoint diversity and all the things that they have shut down. I believe all it takes is one or two major institutions making that decision and the rest of them will fall in line. Well, I hope that that will happen. And hopefully you are correct on that. You've mentioned diversity, equity. I'm usually correct. <laughs> you are. I'm sorry, uh, I am. No, you are. You are. I'll give that to you. Absolutely. I have a ton of respect for you. I really do. And have been excited about having this conversation for a few weeks. Uh, you mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion, CRT. You've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, one of your businesses is Unity Training Solutions. Exactly what do you do there? And how are you trying to make a difference? Well, Unity Training Solutions is still a startup. In 2020, uh, that summer, when we had so many riots, I, think, I believe 54, 55 days of straight rioting in cities across America. And I watched the corporate uh, sector pour millions, if not billions of dollars into DEI and sensitivity training and race uh programs. And I know a lot of it was virtue signaling, mm -hmm. but they were pouring money. And I knew that uh, it would be money that was wasted because you cannot bring about racial reconciliation or healing or any kind of unity, whether it's between males and females, heterosexuals and homosexuals, uh, majority group and minority group uh, members through um, a conflict model. And the cultural Marxism or neo-Marxism, whatever you want to call it, is rooted in conflict theory. And, and it just struck me as I was waking up one morning, unity, unity. And I sort of jumped out of bed, ran to the computer, tried to purchase the domain name, Unity Training. Someone else had had the same idea, so they had purchased that. Uh, and so I, I got the domain name, Unity Training Solutions. And, and then a few months later, I uh, got incorporated as a LLC. And the main thing about unity training is to get back to the whole idea of e pluribus unum out of many, one. And I see diversity uh, itself as positive. Our whole universe is diverse, but what has been taking place is not been true uh, di diversity because it's been about dividing and pitting groups against one another and much of what takes place under the guise of diversity training, diversity, equity, inclusion, violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and our Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And in my book, The Adversity of Diversity, I talk about how the Supreme Court's decision to strike down race-based college admissions spells doom for DEI programs because they violate the, the law and the Constitution in the same way. And there have been uh, a increase, an increasing number of successful cases where white people 
or men have successfully sued businesses and organizations because of racial discrimination. And for the longest time, white people thought that civil rights was something that applied to racial and ethnic minorities. Civil rights, that's Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton. They didn't think of themselves as having rights. But under our constitution, all persons are protected uh, against uh, discrimination based on their group membership. And we find that our civil rights laws are needed today to protect men, to protect heterosexuals, to protect Christians, uh, to protect um, uh, whites and Asians, because uh, the discrimination under DEI is so great. And DEI is a, a, an, is affirmative action on steroids. Mm -hmm. And I argue in the book that we need to go back to our civil rights laws and go back to um, and make sure everyone knows about the protections that they have. And with unity training, part of the training is about what is the law of the land. And the law of the land does not single out any particular group or punish them because of who or what they are. But the goal is to get organizations and companies back on mission. Every organization, every company was founded for a purpose. And we've lost sight of that. And, uh, and so unity training, the goal is to build health, healthy teams of people working together towards whatever the mission is for the organization. And as unity training has evolved, it has become clear that the focus has to be on the CEO and the owner because only they have the power and authority to change the culture. HR can't do it. Mm -hmm. Lower level supervisors can't do it. It has to be the CEO who casts the vision. It has to be the owner. And so that's where uh, I am. And pretty much it's individualized um, coaching or training, depending on what people need, rather than trying to have a one shoe fits all, because every organization is different and the problems differ depending on the nature of the work. Dr. Swain, you mentioned Unity several times. The name of your business is Unity Training Solutions. Is is there something that unifies Americans right now? Do we still pledge allegiance to one flag? Well, let me go back to the name of my business. Uh, the Unity Training Solutions was a business I tried to trademark. And when we applied for trademark applications, there were over 500 pending applications for businesses that had unity in their name. Wow. And when we dug into those businesses, they were your regular DEI programs doing the same divisive training, <laughs> but they were rebranding themselves as unity. And so I changed the name of my company to Carol Swain's Real, in capital letters, Unity Training Solutions. And so I do believe that we can have unity and it goes back to values and principles that unite us. And from the Christian perspective, the golden rule, it's so simple, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Our civil rights laws and our constitution, that was set up to protect all persons. And my position is what unites us as human beings is far greater than what divides us. And when we allow ourselves to be divided by uh, group-based membership, that is the violation of the civil rights vision of integration and uh, and that we can do better and we can do better because we need to be 
united Iran first, the fact that we are human, but Iran ideals, values, and principles, that's the only thing that can hold us together. It's not our race. It's not where we come from. It has to be a set of values and principles that are fair, that people agree with, that are intuitively uh, powerful. And we have just a couple of more minutes, and I wanted to get your opinion on things that are happening on the border. You know, the same people that claim oppression from slavery and demand reparations or the people that demand diversity, equity, and inclusion, or the Me Too people, they seem to turn their heads when it comes to the border. And they look away because you wrote a piece in June of 2023, this year, in the Daily Caller about the Biden administration doing away with rapid DNA testing. And that was quietly done. And what that does, it allows children... Uh, to potentially be trafficked, and not just children, but humans as well. And to me, it it just looks like hypocrisy. Why why is the hypocrisy allowed on so many different issues, but specifically about this one at the border? I mean, I, there's no um, reasonable justification for that except evil, because the way the cartels operate, they can purchase someone's child, they can steal someone's child, if you come across the border with a child, you get a, a set of privileges and you're treated differently. And so being with a child is, is like a high value <laughs> commodity. They have made children commodities. And part of what was discussed in that article is that there are certain industries that are working children as, as young as 9, 12, 13. These are American industries. And when... Um, Homeland Security or whoever is supposed to be monitoring the situation of those children come to investigate, the children are moved very quickly. They disappear. And Homeland Security has lost count. This was this numbers from some time ago of over 80,000 children. And thanks again to Carol Swain, Dr. Carol Swain, for coming here and joining us and, and giving us some words of wisdom. She's so smart. Did you know she was a Democrat until 2009? And she changed her party to the Republican Party because of their worldview, not aligning with her Christian biblical worldview. And she was also early on Islam warnings on American college campuses. She argued that Islam is not like other religions in the United States. It poses an absolute danger to us and our children unless it is monitored. If America is to be safe, it must institute serious monitoring of Islamic organization. She made those comments in an op-ed, and following those comments, a student protest was held at Vanderbilt University, accusing Swain of engaging in hate speech and asking the university implement policies to protect students from being attacked by faculty members. In February of 2015, Swain filed a police complaint after she received a package with lewd sexual contents and messages from an address in Portland, Oregon, in retaliation for that op-ed. She commented that she no longer felt safe on the campus of Vanderbilt University, and she eventually retired early in 2017. She's a very busy person, and I'm very thankful. She shared a half hour with us this week. Stay here. More of our lives and politics is coming up next on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. Thanks for joining us here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. And while you are here, if you haven't already, download the app. You just go to your app store, the Play Store, and download it for free. It's America Out Loud Talk Radio, and you can hear great content 365 days a year. And don't forget to go to AmericaOutloud.news for more articles and additional podcasts. I'm Booker Scott, and from time to time, we discuss the failures of our government when it comes to taking care of Americans' veterans. 
somewhere between 50 and 70,000 veterans will sleep under the stars tonight, under a bridge in our country. They're homeless. We've learned on this show, in the past, that the transition from soldier back to dad or husband can be a tough one, can be very difficult. I'm encouraged by individuals that take it on their own to bring solutions to everyday problems for all of us, but specifically Americans' veterans. One of those is Mike McDowell, and his organization is Veterans Onward. If you have a family member that's a veteran or one that soon will be, I want you to pay attention to this segment and grab a pen and a piece of paper so that you can make notes because it could become helpful for them in the future. Mike McDowell is here to help them, and he's here with us right now on Our Lives in Politics. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you, Booker. It's an honor to be here. And you're just getting this organization off the ground as it is, but this was a, your dissertation for a doctorate in education, is that correct? Correct. This was a spinoff of it, uh, basically examining uh, the needs and really reframing the transition process of answering the question of why some veterans do well and other ones do not. What did your research show you? Why do some do well? Why do some not do so well when they get out of the service? We're talking about people that were just in it for four years or maybe 20 or 30 years. Regardless of how long they were in, some have issues and some don't. What is What was the difference that you found? Well, to begin examining the challenges we face in terms of the soldier or service member coming out, you know, we, we equivocate them to having PTSD or moral injury of some sort. So many people believe that that's why they they don't thrive, when in actuality, the reason is is really not that. It's actually failure to assimilate, uh, where we grab these young people at 17 or 18 years of age, uh, where they've never lived autonomously as adults. You know, they 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 may have had a car payment or uh, part-time job or working, you know, with, within the confines sure. of their home, but, but then came out and were looking for a purpose. Many of those, uh, didn't have a lot of options, maybe academically or, uh, through resources uh, at home. And so they joined the service and, uh, we immediately indoctrinate them into a, a very socialized system, which is very good in terms of war fighting. It's very effective. Uh, everyone's got uh, a purpose, a job. Uh, they're a part of a tribe, uh, and they they work for the betterment of things bigger than themselves. So that's kind of what we what we really look at in terms of it's more of a sociological challenge in terms of finding purpose, uh, and then they leave that service after, as you said, four years or forty years, and they come in and they think they're all motivated. They have uh, you know, a high desire, you know, to, to move on and to re rebrand themselves. Uh, and that's where they fall on their, on their sword a little bit because they're really ill-prepared to go into society the way we, you know, we, we think they are. And so quietly when I said, you know, we're reframing the way we do it because what we're, what ha- what's going on today, particularly with the 20 suicides a day that we see, you know, those numbers the latest data suggests that in 2001, we were looking at about 24, 25 per 1,000 that hurt themselves. Today, it's almost 
43 per 1,000. So uh, the number's gotten worse. And quite frankly, uh, with 45,000 nonprofits, which are registered 501c3s, uh, doing the heavy lifting for this, uh, we're not getting better. So again, we've got to find new ways to, to really reframe the problem of practice. And the government really doesn't help in things like this. So it's left to people like you that have an idea that does the research and has the wherewithal to actually go out and, and make something happen. We had uh, Mike Murray on this program a while back. It's been a few months, but he started an organization to help those with PTSD. And he mentioned something that was interesting. And as you're talking, it, it comes back to my mind, that conversation, that the homeless people that he has spoken to, the homeless veterans that sleep under the bridge and under the stars that I mentioned, that a lot of them want to be there because they associate with the tribe and the job that each one of them have to do, and they watch each other's back and take care of each other. And that kind of falls directly into what you are saying as well. I would, I would really agree with that statement. The, the problem that we have is we look at this through a soda straw sometimes. You know, we think we have X amount. You know, I was in Los Angeles. I was a veteran commissioner for L.A. County and really learned a lot. I was in a nonprofit called the Soldiers Project and did mo- it was mo- uh, mental and behavioral health for veterans. And, you know, it's, it is interesting because what we typically see, first of all, this, this, this concept of everyone having PTS and they have to have service dogs and all that brands us as weak. It brands us as people that need help and they need a handout. When in actuality, it's a very, very small amount of people. You know, it's, the data suggests that we don't even really know how many of them have PTS. We assume between 8 and 18% uh, of service members leaving may have some sort of trauma-based background. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, the data needs to continue to move because a lot of those people had trauma as children, which are exacerbated by military service. And that's why you get the people who have PTS never been to combat or they've never you know, why does it happen to some and doesn't happen to others? Yeah. You know, I had six combat tours in the Marine Corps and uh, lost a lot of young people uh, in our in our uh, in our units and, uh, break, you know, breaking your heart. You know, why sure. was I affected the way it was? Other people could walk away with it, you know, how it affects me. Um, and I struggle with it. You know, the fear of death every day, right? When you're out yeah. there day after day after day after day after month after month. And it's heavy kinetic and all that. But all that said, when you come back into into serve, you know, because you're you're doing that four years or forty years, the people doing the work, you know, there's so many challenges they face because of the forty five thousand that we have. Uh, very few uh, are financially stable enough to really be able to um, utilize evidence based outcomes. You know, um, they're doing God's work, but the problem is, is they don't really know if they're being effective or not. Yeah. We see that with TAP today with Transition Assistance Program. You know, they're they're supposed to have every service member go through that program as a preparedness to going in and be a civilian. Well, and I say that's great. That's a great, great aspect to have. But I would also ask you, is it being successful? And my research said that it was not being successful for my hundreds and hundreds that I brought in in my research, my qualitative and, and uh, quantitative data. And so if there's no assessment at the end, how do you know anybody learns anything? Right. And right. when you take a person that's never lived autonomously as an adult and now they've lived in a socialized system, now they're leaving. 
we're really not examining the right thing when you say, well, they're going to work on a resume. They're going to do, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're there for five days and it's, it's the government's best way of trying to say, we've done that. We have a check in the box and right. they're looking for signatures. They have no context to living on their own. They don't know they're going to live with their dad. They're going to live with their mom or girlfriend and, and they're, they're leaving next week. I mean, we're not talking about six, eight months or a year before they get out there taking tap. They're leaving literally the week of. And it's really embarrassing because they're not ready. They don't have a plan. And they don't even know what they want to do when they grow up, which is fine. I mean, I don't want to know what I want to do when I grow right. up as a 53-year-old male. Yeah, I'm still, tri- I'm still trying to figure boat, it out. You know? yeah, 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 I'm trying to figure it <laughs> but out. But the still. idea behind it is is purpose, right? And, and most of these young people are not Christ-centered. You know, they don't have a very strong um, um, moral base in terms of they have moral uh, uh, objective, but they don't have a spiritual objective, which is really endemic of our society. Sure. But they have no one else to lean on but themselves. And it, and it's really fascinating to me because, you know, if you look at the hard data, right, just look at the data of the people coming out of the 200,000 we have coming out, 70% of them don't do what they did in the military, okay, because most of those people are military combat arms MOSs. Number two, when I was doing my research, the these young people that are living in barracks, okay, the ones who are really that are at risk, you know, we're finding out that, you know, 20% of them, their biggest concern they have is food insecurity. That's the one thing wow. that they're concerned with. We didn't know that. You know, uh, we didn't, you know, we survey through Onward Ops, uh, organization that's our predecessor organization that takes them six months to a year before they get out. And they're at, they're able to get a 17-question survey given to them. And we have over 6,500 samples of these surveys. And we're finding out that they don't, we don't even know what the, well, we know what the problem is. You know, they're not, not really, uh, they're really not getting what their biggest fears are sat, satisfied, which leads to depression, anxiety, anxi- you know, anxiety sure. is a big, big thing. And now they leave, leaving that tribe. They go off on their own, highly motivated, don't get me wrong. And, you know, and then they're wondering why they're struggling because now they can't get a job. You know, um, I can, again, I have data that will 37% of them uh, that we have of the 6,500 surveys, 37% of them don't have a plan for med refills. Yeah. You know, and when they're taking anxiety meds, you know, or, or whatever coming out, you can't skip it. You know, we're finding out that only 17% of our, of our surveys are signing up for VA. Why is that concerning? 17% Booker. Why, why are they not? Wonder now, well, is there a reason why it, they are not signing up for VA? It's suggesting to us that we are, they don't understand the benefits. Like for example, we match them up and onward ops, we match them up six months to a year with, with trained VA sponsors in each city. Okay. So our program is new. Okay. That's a, that's a national program. Uh, veterans onward then takes them after their separation after they leave military then they go into veterans onward because we want to continue the organizational uh, tribe right that they get out of but we're linking them up with someone in their community a human being that's similar to them could be male to male could be male to female could be female to female could be industry based we try to find out all those all the stuff that we can about them and it blew my mind when i was looking at this data uh this, the VA function is, is a very important factor because after a year and a half or about 16 months or 17 months of our, our uh, research, we're finding out that the ones that are that are investing and that are signing up for Onward Ops and grabbing a sponsor, right, 
that they have a 65% chance of signing up for that. Mm. Now that's important because in 19 or 2000, 2019, there was a survey study that was done in my work. You can see that in my dissertation, but uh, VA did a study and they said that about 75% of the 20 suicides a day we have, only 77% only of them did not sign up for VA. And they think that they're not qualified for it. If I ask them, you know, they, they think, well, I'm not a combat vet. Yeah. I'm not missing both my limbs. Um, I don't like the VA for brand purposes, whatever. We just tell them, listen, you know, you've got meds. You're not, t you know, you get those refilled. You know, what are you going to do for your medical refill? Because again, if we have that 37% that we know and asking them that direct question, we can say, what are you doing for your meds? Well, I'll get it. I'll, I'll get meds when I get my new job. Okay, great. But understand, you may not get a job for five or six months after right. you get out. It's not right after. See, that's the thing. So let's get you signed up for VA. Well, well, not just sign up. Even if you don't like, just sign up because you rate it for a year. Did you know that? And then they're like, I didn't know that. But that's that's what's broken about the system because they don't have the amounts of information coming out. And so by doing that with the onward upside, we can we can get them before they go into distress. We have a program with Texas Family Life, for example. If I know Booker, you're leaving and you're young family and and 20 because 20 percent of the people are like this their biggest fear is food insecurity but if i came up to you and said listen i'll tell you what we're going to do i'm going to give you a credit card a debit card that i can give you i'm going to put 300 dollars on that card okay through texas family life and our partnerships you go to heb which is our large supermarket chain here go shopping because remember what are, what are some of the things i learned one they don't know how to shop they don't know how to cook you know they don't <laughs> They don't know how to buy insurance. Sure. They don't know how to do lease agreements. They don't know how to do any of that stuff. And you think, well, they're military. You should know that. You're 22 years old. No, because they've never done it. So now I'm going to say, go to the supermarket, take your basket, look for these food items that you're going to grab. No booze, no cigarettes, obviously. Take a picture of the receipt. Okay, Send that back up to me, and I'll recharge that card. And I'll do that for six months. That's 1800 bucks. So that problem's done. Booker, what else you got? What's your next big yeah. card? Well, I can see from the dashboard on your survey, this is the next issue, resume support, whatever. Well, let's talk about this. What industry do you want to go into? Well, I don't know really what I want to do. And that's normal. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's look at a few things. Have you ever looked at vocational trades? You know, well, I don't know. No, I didn't really want to be a plumber. Well, there's other things. You can be an electrician, a pipe fitter, a carpenter. You know, you're really good at your hands. You ever looked at doing that? You see the pathway here. We're creating comprehensive support. It's not just like, they go into distress to become homeless. Well, let's build them houses. Well, that's okay, yeah. but you're not really getting to the root of the problem, which is understanding the individual as an individual. And it's not, let's be honest, the DOD is not in the business of, of getting people jobs. It's not their role. They're right. a warfighting entity, and they're very good at it, Sure, but they're not positioned to do that. Someone like Onward Ops and now Veterans Onward coming out, we have the ability to really read do that tap process, we could essentially come in there uh, across the board and then have data on the out outcome. Because I'm most proud of is this is all about suicide prevention. Our study, we just had this published, or it's going to be published very soon. We have actually, when they have engaged with sponsors, have reduced suicide ideations in terms of the conditions leading up to that, which is anxiety, depression, all that, by 50%. Okay? That's a hard data outcome. Nobody else has that stuff. Now, you can't just say, well, we've eliminated X suicides. Well, you don't know that, yeah. obviously, because that's a longitudinal study. But if I can increase that by 50% or more, 
by just a human being, you know? And uh, so anyway, so that's, that's the direction that we think this is, needs to go. Uh, and, and it's great for donors because now donors can say, I want my money targeted to vets, not to my salary, you know, not the yeah. wounded warrior thing or these other people who just print money, but you don't really know what they do. Right. Now we can show you, this is what we do. This is what you sponsored with that $10,000 gift. You gave X amount of soldiers or service members food for this many months. Here's the receipts. Look yeah. what they bought. How, how do you find these soldiers, these veterans? Tell me about the mechanism that you have created to connect all these dots together for these guys and, and ladies too. Well, that's a great question. That's always been the barrier for any nonprofit, right? Because Booker, if you come out of service and, and, <clears throat> and I don't know who Bucker is. The government never gave us that information, mm-hmm. ever, because of OPSEC and PII and all the things we talk about with security. Okay, It would be compromised. So the only time I ever knew that Booker existed is when he called my nonprofit, and, and he called and he was in distress. That He was um, uh, homeless. He got arrested, incarcerated. He lost his kids. He's, uh, uh, he's homeless. He lost his job. He has no money. And now it becomes a reactionary endeavor, right? Yeah. You start, by the way, starting to self-medicate, which again opens up the door to a whole different set of problems, which we see in LA and other these large homeless communities. Um, and so the idea was, is that we could somehow get the information that we needed upstream. Now, how can we do that? The only way we can do that is the DOD, because the VA tries to do this the best they can. But if only 17% of the 200,000 new vets are signing up, okay? That's not successful because we don't know where you're at geographically. We can't push resources to you. Well, now we've solved that problem through our relationship with Google and the Department of Defense because we have the same Google platform that the CIA has in terms of of, crypt, of encryption, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a very close partnership with them and they, their AI capability. And what we do is we have and get every service member coming out of three core and the other are larger army command, because we work with Soldier for Life right now, every service member is ordered to fill out that 17 question survey. Okay, now that's important. Now they don't have to join in you know, the, the onward ops front end. They don't have to get a right. sponsor if they don't want, but over 60 some percent of them are. And, and they're but, thriving in those in their circumstances. But, but that we gives get their you, names, information. Right, that gives you the data so that you can start the process. Yes, and we know who they are, what their what their challenges are, what their kids' names are, what schools they want to go to, their goals, their aspirations, what they're fearful of. We know all of this in the dashboard. It, it pulls up, and so that sponsor that they're attached to, okay, their mentor, gets all that data too. So that's data sharing, and that goes up. We have our own. So when you're with Onward Ops, you get your own email account through Google uh, at, at, at onwardops.com. Org, and then the sponsor gets the same thing. So it's never on the personal computers. It's all done virtu- you know, virtually in terms of the cloud storage. And then what we're doing with it is we want to know specifically, like this is how efficient it is. So if I know Booker has a TBI, for example, and we have, we're working with nonprofits on this because we want to be the inter- intermediary per, you know, perspective because mm-hmm. we're not providing the services necessarily. So for You're putting example, it together. You're putting people, per- people with organizations. And you're connecting Correct. all the dots for them. I got it. But preventative, though. See, that's the that's the winning combination. It's not when you're going into distress. So now I can go up to Booker and say, Booker, here's the deal. I know you have a TBI. Okay, I'm your sponsor, and you're coming to San Antonio. And I said, Hey, uh, 
I've got an organization here that has, now they, well, I wouldn't tell you this, but let's say that they give out 200 free uh, uh, patients or you know clients that they do work on. So I can specifically, you come out on a, on a Monday into San Antonio, I can have you in the office on a Wednesday. You know, and, and, and you're leading this charge. I'm not doing it as your sponsor. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doing the work. You're doing it. And we're very direct with them. You know, hey, I'm going to be behind you all the way, Booker. Here's the deal. I know you got a TBI. Let's get you talking to these people. Is that something you want to do? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. Let's do a three-way call or just do it yourself. If they're motivated, I mean, it's, you know, every person's different. Sure. But a lot of them, again, you know, they have... <laughs> For example, you, I have two of them. They're great, <laughs> two, two uh, uh, military service members. But the funny thing was, is you like the one is like, hey, how much money are you gonna have this month? You know, and we're talking once or twice a month, right? right? That's about the time. And and by the way, every service member and service person gets a Google Workspace account for free from Google, so they get that great that avenue for Google uh, Meet and all the other nice stuff. So that's how I do most of my meetings is on Meet. So I say to him, I said, hey, Booker, how much money are you going to have coming to San Antonio? And you're like, yeah, probably, you know, $1,400. You know, that's great. What, what do you what do you want to do for a living? Because, again, you've got homework assignments. What, what part of town would you like to live in? Well, I want to live, if I can, up in Hill Country where the Spurs live. All right, Booker, I love you. Okay. But that ain't going to happen. Okay. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to afford that. Okay. You're going to have to live on the south side probably or, you know, the west side or, Let's look at your kids. What's their, what's their age? You know, well, I got one that's in football. Okay. Well, let's look for a good football program through a different, you know, through a school and then see if we can work backwards, if that's important to you or you see what I'm saying. Sure. It's a customized sure. approach and it works. And so then we can go back up to, you know, Bear County veteran services, or we can go through, you know, four block Eda Rodriguez, who runs a great program over there, you know, in San Antonio and nationally, uh, you know, we can get them now four or five, six months prior to into these programs where now they have a vision and a plan. Now they still don't know what they want to do necessarily, but that's okay. Let's explore, you know, let's get these companies like John Wayne plumbing and some of these other partners we have serve pro locally. What do they need? They need talent. They need, they need people. Well, guess what? I'm going to, you give me four or five or 10 sponsors and we'll train them with the VA training process we do because we learn how to talk and how to do things to help them. Um, it's phenomenally interesting because now I can give you a, an individual that specifically wants to go in the trades. Well, we'll link them up with your sponsors at your, at your plumbing company. Right. Now you can walk. It's a six, eight month soft interview, Yeah. you know? And Oh, by the way, you can start taking stuff online to get yourself ahead of your journeyman process, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why this program is successful. But I, I have great people around me, uh, in terms of, the uh, uh, you know, General Mike Eastman runs Onward Ops, and of course I'm spearheading, uh, you know, the veterans Onward because we want to start our our processes. You know, you Booker leaves service, now he's coming into San Antonio. Now you're going to join our tribe. Keep going. You're going to be with us, and we're going to do volunteer work around the around the city, uh, and and really showcase the talent of veterans. You know, we're not talking about building vertical construction, but you know, doing park cleanups, restorations. You know, we're going to be taking off the invasive apple snail out of our San Antonio River drainage, you know, on kayaks. I mean, come on. I mean, this is great stuff. I mean, this yeah. is things that vets love to do. Get dirty. Get online. You know, quick reaction force. You know, it's winter times. San Antonio seems to you know, become paralyzed with winter. <laughs> All things considered, yeah. it's just not prepared. But the <laughs> problem is, is that. Uh, a little snow comes down or, you know, gets frozen. There's people that need support. Guess what? We all got trucks. 
we got trailers, we got generators, we got tools, we got, you know, we're Texans, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. And then if we can do that and show the community that we're not broken, yeah. you know, we don't have service dogs. You know, we're ready for opportunities at work, you know, we're ready for, you know, careers and stuff. So that's how I see this playing out. And, and I think we can scale it around the country. Thank you, Mike. Uh, you've been listening to Mike McDowell. The organization is veteransonward.org. I told you earlier, grab a piece of paper and a pencil, take some notes. I hope you did. And Mike, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's absolutely my, pre- my pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you soon. And as our hour comes to an end here on America Out Loud Talk Radio, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. You can always contact me at BookerMediaUSA at Gmail or follow me on Twitter. Feel free to send me a direct message. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Booker Spartacus, S-P-A-R-T-I-C-U-S. And feel free to feel free to reach out to me there. Have yourself a great week. And remember, 2,000 years ago, you were told you are the salt of the earth. So be salty. You've been listening to Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud Network.